Only about 90% of my sentences have cuss words. Maybe you'll catch the 10%. Be advised. Hey y'all, I'm Jen. I'm from Oakland and I'm a queer black feminist scholar. This is Darren, hailing from the mean streets of Anaheim. I'm an introvert, a novelist, and a nerd. We're early 30-somethings with three kids and over a decade of marriage. This is a podcast about the realities of blackness and adult life. We do adult differently. This is That Black Couple. Greetings, everyone. This is episode 29 of season two of That Black Couple. Grab your hot cocoa made with oat milk. Add some hazelnut and maybe some amaretto. Well, we got to do oat milk. Okay. Okay, so you did it. You asked me. Okay. Well, I, I asked you because I'm sure everyone's wondering. Oat Listen, milk, why we got to do oat quarantine milk. has been very hard on our bowels. I'm going to tell you right now. Wait, that's not quarantine's fault. Okay. So let's also talk about the truth. It's been quarantine and also we're getting older. <laughs> okay. So we're going to be honest, okay? It's been quarantine. Don't act like quarantine has not been hard on our bowels. It's a stressful time. It is. It's it a is. very stressful time. Okay. And stress shows up in the body. The body keeps and the score. The body keeps the score. And also the body keeps the score in how many years we've been alive. And so that makes us sometimes just a little bit older than we were a year before. And some of us in the room are 36. Actually, both of us. And so, <laughs> you know, that cow's milk had been doing some things. <laughs> And I'm not lactose intolerant, but... You know, everything in moderation. Yeah, I don't know. I think I might have to just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Don't, it might hey, have to go. We didn't get that cleared. Oh, I didn't say that. That was me singing about letting it go. Like, it? not not anything about ice. Right. It was about gas. It's about... <laughs> that reminds me. My best friend in 2018 told me to get a squatty potty. I love him. He is a wonderful man. And I believe everything he says. He's very smart and earnest. And But I don't understand why it took me till 2021 to get this squatty potty. Because it is changing my life. I have had it for three days. And on the on the box, when you buy it at, at, at Bed Bath & The Beyonds, mm-hmm. it says, like, life-changing effects. <laughs> like, there ain't no fucking life-changing effects. I know. I saw that. I was lie. like, these white people are so dramatic. I was like, they are so over the top. Oh, my God. Honey, baby child, sister girl, honey, boo-boo, when I tell you... When I tell you, when I tell you about these squatty potties in this house, I be looking forward to pooping. I be like, you know what? I'm about to reunite with that squatty potty. I be like talking about pooping a whole different way. You know, like you used to talk about like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. But now it'd be like, whoo, you know, like, whoo, let's see what we're going to accomplish today. It's like, it's like, it's like a project. And you know, you're about to get an A plus, bro. Like, you know you're about to get an A+. Plus. You're getting an A+, plus because you got a hookup. It's like you got a really you great, the amazing end. cheat sheet you have that the you end. can bring in with you the test. You have the end. You have the end. This is how people have been doing it since, you know, before we had toilets. They knew how to get the squat. Yeah. When they had to and figure how, it out on their own. Right. And we went backward. I unlearned. I blame white people. To relearn. 
But then the white people also made the squatty party. So it's kind of a circular situation. Well, that to me just sounds like they sold us something. It's turducken white supremacy. They set up a problem and then it's like, here's a solution to the the problem. The technical term is turducken white supremacy. This Mm. is what I've been calling it recently. Yes, yes. Okay. So turducken white supremacy. Now we know that white supremacy is just white supremacy. All white supremacy is just white supremacy. However, turducken white supremacy is essentially when white folk fuck some shit up. And then they use their whiteness to essentially repair it. But then because they are white and they can tap into white privilege, they give themselves credit for repairing the thing that they fucked up in the first place. And then it's like they never fucked it up and they can collectively, through white supremacy, misremember the fact that they were actually responsible for it in the beginning. So that's turducken white supremacy. And this sounds like a whole situation where we are talking about white people being the problem, not acknowledging that they're the problem, and then solving the problem, but still actually being the problem. So back to the oat milk, because I bet you oat milk is also turducken white supremacy. I could see it. I think that most of the things we enjoy are turducken white supremacy. Well, who who told us to drink cow milk in the first place? In the place? first fucking place. Who's, see what I'm whose idea was whose that? Whose idea was that? Anyway, let's stop. Before somebody messages and be like, actually. 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 <laughs> if you look in the history books, If you go back to the history of, the of goat history. milk and cow milk and lamb milk and sheep milk and I can't. <laughs> Anyway, y'all, please sit down and enjoy yourselves because this is episode 29. This is season two of That Black Couple. And we went off on the most immaculate tangent right now. And I am so happy to be back. It's been a rough time. It's been a rough quarantine. It's been a rough quarantine. So have a seat. This is That Black Couple. I'm Jen. I'm Darren. And before we get started, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ThatBLKCouple on Facebook at That Black Couple and look us up on the internets at www.thatblackcouple.com. You can stream our episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, and everywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. And you have to rate us high because someone in the room is high. (gasps) And that to me, to me and my humble opinion, deserves high ratings. Wow. I thought that was cute. It was. It was. <laughs> it wasn't not cute. You know what I'm saying? But also, I was over here minding my black business. It's, it's, it's not a drag. You're not being dragged. Not I can't dragged. be dragged because you can't drag someone who is undraggable. <laughs> wow. Are you ready to get started? Let's go. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's start first things first. We're talking about the black church and why young black folks have been leaving it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you just walked into that so smoothly. Like that was a light conversation. <laughs> we're going to have. We're about to get so many emails. Well, I think the best way to start this conversation and to introduce it to our audience is that we should maybe start with our own experiences so people understand our orientation to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, you know, I grew up in Oakland, California. I was raised in the church. My grandmother was a pastor at a non-denominational church um, all growing up. So I was, you know, front row seats of casting out demons. I remember I used to look in the bucket when she would cast the demons out. And I was like, that's not no demon, that's saliva. <laughs> It was a whole situation. I got in trouble. I got in trouble. I got in trouble. Um, But, you know, people were speaking in tongues and we caught people and threw uh, sheets and and things over their over their laps when they fell down in the church. And, you know, so I'm really used to to that kind of environment. But I also grew up in 
um, a traditional Baptist church in the Bay Area, Evergreen Missionary Baptist Church in North Oakland. I was a praise dancer. You know, my best friend was on the usher board. I was on the church drill team. I was in the pageants. You know, I did all the traditional Baptist church activities. You know, Sundays were dedicated to church. We woke up in the morning from the morning, from the moment we opened our eyes in the morning, it was church. It's all it was. We listened to church music. We watched Bobby Jones every Sunday after church. Between services, we stopped at the little Wendy's around the corner from church and went to a different church for three o'clock services. If we had a visiting church, we came to our own church. We had night services. I mean, New Year's Eve, we was in church. Every time we had an opportunity to be free of our home, we were in church. So for me, you know, my orientation to the black church has been through my own experiences and the experiences of my family. My family is deeply embedded in um, black church and religion in the Bay Area. I have family members who are pastors, family members who are deacons and deaconesses. I have uh, folks in my family who have started churches. All of my family sings. So my family has like albums that they've recorded. They travel around the country and around the, the globe, you know, so I'm. I'm about as embedded in church as you can be. Um, so this episode comes from a place of a deep, intimate experience um, and also, you know, a very complex disappointment. So it's not that, um, you know, there is not any joy or or great moments in, in deep connections to culture that I take from my experiences in the black church. There absolutely are. And I love that I was raised in such a rich and beautiful uh, tradition. However, we can also love things critically to take a, a note from Janet Mock. Love does not have to come without critique. And absolutely, I think it should always come with some form of critique. So, yeah. And I mean, and that's, I mean, <laughs> that's really kind of my same experience, you know, grew up in the church. I grew up in the AME church, you know, a proud historic institution within the black church, you know, greater body. Um, and I was in all the things, you know, just like you were, I was in the youth choir. I was in the mass choir. I was in the youth groups. I was the president of the youth groups. You know, I went on the trips. I went on the mission trips to, to Mexico. You know, I, you know, I was just like you, I was kind of like fully, fully, fully embedded in the church. My mother is a minister. Um, I was, I was a youth trustee, which was something they made up. It wasn't even a real thing. They made it up for me because I was there all the time moving tables and setting up chairs and doing, you know, like I was just like you, I was kind of in, I was, that was a real major aspect of my upbringing was being in the church. And like you, I kind of have somewhat of a disappointment coming into adulthood. And I think what it was for me was, you know, we grew up in a very particular time where, where technology just blossomed so quickly and we we moved from you know from from beepers to cell phones to you know all manner of things on the internet and so everything became much more connected we have so much more access to things um you know we can get answers instantaneously to anything and i think what happened to me is i feel like the black church kind of fell behind it kind of really got stuck at a certain point where it didn't really grow and change with people as as time grew and changed going forward. And so it just became, you know, really difficult for it to really kind of fit. And I think you try to fit yourself into that mold of how things have always been. And I think, and I, and I purposefully said this earlier, the black church is an institution. And so it has certain things that it wants. It has certain powers. It has, you know, certain things that are at stake if it changes or, or, or becomes something different and it's going to be resistant to change. And so it's not really something that you're going to really look or plan on it growing and changing and becoming something new over time. That's just not what you would expect. 
And I think that that's what it comes down to is the black millennial experience is just different. And so, you know, as we grew and we had a family and then, you know, we tried to go into that same kind of pattern of, okay, well, we have a family. We need to be in the church. Our kids need to go to Sunday school, all those things. We started visiting churches and really trying to establish a foothold and it just did not fit. It did not feel comfortable. It didn't feel right. It just, it looked, it looked real different on the side. It sure did. It sure did. And I think that's the important part was that we, you know, because both of us had been raised so traditionally when it came to our orientation with the church, it just felt natural for us after we were married to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we went, I came and joined your church. I had been Baptist my whole life and I said, okay, well, I'm AME now. And it took me a little while to learn the traditions and trying to, you know, acclimate, but I did. And we were members of that church for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, we eventually changed to a Baptist church that was more in alignment with how we worshiped and how we showed up, especially because they had more young people there and more families. But then we started to see that we just kind of, we started moving toward more abolitionist ideas. And that started to alienate us from that community as well, which is, I think, where we get to with this conversation today is that we slowly saw ourselves kind of moving further and further away, not from the central tenets and the organizing organizing principles of the church. Um, we believed in Christianity and all of that, right? And about, you know, Jesus being our inherent savior and that to get to, to heaven and to get to God, we had to go through him. We believe in the power of prayer. Like we believe in all these central tenets, but it was the actual practice of religion in the ways that folks were doing it in these institutions that alienated parts of us and who we were at our core. And so when we moved to Chicago and tried so hard, so hard, so hard to find a church, we visited church after church after church after church, and we would be sitting there and they would say stuff like, oh, you know, this person was the president of the kitty cat club. And we're like, what is going on? Why do we have to slut shame from the pulpit? You know, or when they have a visiting pastor who's saying this beautiful prayer, beautiful prayer, and then jumps in there with, you know, and Lord, please you know, remove the homosexuality and the criminalization from our children. And you're like, what is going on? You know, like it kept being these moments of just disruption where we would have this moment of, of prayer and praise and oneness with this community. And then something would happen that would remind us that only parts of us were allowed in those spaces. And that was that was not a, a deal we were willing to accept. It was a deal breaker. And and I think I think central to that is something that i've come to realize is i think my central issue honestly with with church in general um and specifically specifically the black church is all these teachings and things that you know are all bible based all these teachings that your 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 pastor your preacher hands down to you that you're supposed to be following at at the end of the day we're all human and none of us are perfect and it's really hard i think to have people trying to tell you about yourself and tell you how you need to fix yourself and how you're the problem or how homosexuality is the thing that we need to root out or, you know, it's, it's the drugs or it's the, it's the AIDS or it's, you know, it's all these other things. And then you look at these people and you're like, but I can see the fault in your humanity. Mm -hmm. And these are things that we're not allowed to talk about at the church. These are things that we're not allowed to address. These are the things that we're not allowed to have initiatives to remedy. And it be the, I think it's the power dynamic becomes very fraught for me. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like you said that ties into what a lot of people in younger generations, and I, when I say younger generations, I mean millennials and Gen Z, you know, we're going through a very specific moment where a lot of what we're talking about is what works for me? How do I want the world to look? How do I want to show up in the world? And we're really working on answering these questions. 
And then when you go to a space like that, that is more conservative, that is more kind of tied to the past, that can't address those things appropriately, it becomes very difficult to mm-hmm. say, I'm going to frequent this. I'm going to participate. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to bring other people here too. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't match your daily life. And I feel like that's what it's supposed to be. Church is supposed to be something that's not on just Sunday mornings. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be your whole seven days. Mm-hmm. And if you go to church on Sunday, but you can't tell your friend on Tuesday that you go to church or you don't want to invite your friend that you that you go to the gym with to go to church with you, that becomes a big problem because it becomes segmented and pretty much separate from the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I also say, I think, you're, I mean, you guys, this is some bars right here. You know what I'm saying? And I think that what you're saying is also important when we're thinking about the fact that we were doing this in the moment when Black Lives Matter was really emerging and and calling to the fore what it meant to be fully yourself in politics and in your day to day life. What it means to like show up at work and acknowledge like, hey, I'm black. Don't fucking touch my hair. Right. Like, don't don't do these things to me. These are injustices. When we started challenging these words that would dismiss our experiences like microaggressions, like there's no such thing as a microaggression. It's just racism. Right. Right. And like. It was a moment where we were also trying to learn and unlearn all these processes that told us that, you know, racism wasn't that big a deal if, right, all these conditions on our humanity. And so when you step into these churches and you're trying to struggle alongside these folks as your comrades, but they're also still doing that respectability, like, you know, game where they're still going to accept accept some of these things that are actively harming you every day in your lot in your life. It's not it's a that's a tough pill to swallow. And I think we did it for a very long time. Right. We did that. But. It wasn't going to serve us. And we had children at home, right? We had these three young black children who we are modeling a life for. Mm -hmm. And we are trying to set an example for them and trying to teach them a way that will actually let them live freer and longer and healthy and happier. And what I look like taking my daughter into a church where a man is sitting up in in the pulpit, a man who actually was the father of one of her ballet friends up there shaming women's bodies. I just can't, it, it don't, it don't make it make sense. And that's the thing that, that, you know, I think we've both touched on is, you know, we have our own ethos about life and it's sad and it's disappointing when you have your own ethos that somehow does not align with your church membership. Yeah. That is a very shocking thing to have to confront. But I think that is what is happening is young people are confronting that and saying, well, which one has to go? And they're not they're not choosing their own ethos. Right. And so I I mean, I want to wrap this up with something actually positive and say that this is why I'm actually really like heartened by this moment because, you know, I want to acknowledge fully that quarantine has been very, very, very hard. COVID has annihilated families, communities. Um, the state's handling of COVID has been atrocious, disgusting. Um, disparaging to communities of color and communities at the margins. And we've all experienced terrible, terrible losses, terrible losses. And um, I say all that to say that this moment, I think, has set us in a place where we are getting more grounded in our communities and our spiritual ties and our ancestral heritage and getting back to who we are at our core and our connectedness to energies in the earth. And so, you know, this isn't just an episode to critique the black church, which absolutely is partially that, but it's also an episode for us to express hope and and excitement about the ways that folks who are spiritual and some who are also Christian um, are thinking through how to 
to leverage our connections to one another in community with one another and build alternative forms of connection and community um, based in the same central tenets of forgiveness and kindness and love and generosity. So I think that that is actually one of the good things coming out of this moment is that for folks like us who I do feel like we're kind of despaired, right? Like we were having a really hard time and we were kind of just disillusioned with the whole church process. And here we are now and we have our Sundays are packed. Our Sundays are packed because we have, you know, online church that we attend and we enjoy the praise and worship and we enjoy the word. I'm in here taking notes and stuff on biblical scripture again. You know, I have an alternative grief community that I'm a part of that I'll talk about a little bit later. You know, we have all these different forms of community that we are tethering ourselves to. And I think that is also a part of this this conversation is that it's not just about critiquing, but it's about building. And I do I do really feel hopeful about the fact that young people are building. This podcast is supported by generous donations from listeners and readers of our mom and dad's web magazine, watercoolercombos.com. You can stream the show on Spotify, Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. When you listen, please consider hitting that heart button, sharing, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving some dope comments. This helps us with our page rankings and gets more listeners for the show. Thank you so much. And we're back. And we back. Go we back. Go we back with a guest. With a guest. Guess who here? You supposed to guess. I, I I don't know. I was I was gonna say guess who's back, but I was like, wait, hold on. They're not back. They it's their first been time here before, so it doesn't count as being back. Are you high? Because I'm high. I said contact. I'm in the same room with you. Guess who's here, nigga? Who's here? My girlfriend Tia. Hey Tia. Oh, hey. We're welcoming Tia to the podcast. I was going to do a round of applause, but I realized the audio would be really bad on that. Yeah, I don't want to And it would stress me out. Every time you guys kept saying, guess who? I kept thinking of, guess who's coming to dinner? Not to dreadlock. No. I clapped. You're just going to clap through my musical That was good clapping. Thank you. It was good clapping. It was appropriate. Thank you. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna bring Tia in in just a minute, but what we're gonna go through now is you know my favorite portion where I bring data to the table to kind of ground the conversation. So we're talking about the Black Church today, and as many people know, Black Church has really played a pivotal role in history. You know, a lot of of ministers and leaders were on the front lines. They were the ones that were actually fighting for abolition, fighting for civil rights. Um, the church has been a great you know, meeting place for people to congregate, to organize. Um, and so when you think about black people historically and, and the black church historically, they've kind of been one in the same in a lot of respects. They've kind of always worked together uh, across a whole kind of band of black history. Um, and, and Henry Louis Gates has a, has a great show coming to PBS. I think it just, it, I think it's debuting this week, actually. If it's debuting, how you know it's great? Because it's Henry Louis Gates. Okay, fair. And it's on PBS. Fair. How could it not be great? I'm just saying. You just said that like you've seen it already. Like you had an advanced yeah, cut. Okay. I, I don't. I don't have insider information like that. He was okay. he yeah, they be on. He do be doing mm-hmm. just some PBS good things. He do be doing some. He wouldn't. He wouldn't have no you know janky message. He, he would throw out there, especially. You know, I just thought you were sprinkling people. a little extra because you can't no, be advertising unless PBS would like to have us advertise on this podcast. And they are welcome to. They are welcome to contact us at that couple at gmail.com. 
Can you say that again to make sure it was clear? That's blkcouple at gmail.com. Did you, you say that. that blkcouple at gmail.com? I did say that blkcouple at gmail.com. Okay, so if I wanted to contact you all, I would hit that blkcouple at, at gmail.com. Gmail. Okay. No spaces, no dashes. No spaces or dashes. But continue. <laughs> but yeah, I was, you know, as I usually do for, for these podcasts, I do a lot of research. I gather a bunch of information. And there's a quote that he, he said in, in part for this, um, for the special that he's doing, talking about the black church. And he said, the church is the oldest, the most continuous, and the most important institution ever created by the African-American people. African-Americans created a form of Christianity with a liberating God at its center a redemptive force for a nation whose original sin was slavery. What black people did was take the forms of Christianity available to them and refashion them in their own image. And I just thought that was so powerful because it really did. I mean, you think about it, Christianity was given to black people from white people, mm-hmm. the same people that were oppressing them. And what black people did, and this is you know a big deal in history, is they said, we're going to take that and we're going to turn it back around on you. And that's the vehicle that we're then going to use to get our own freedom. Mm -hmm. which is a big deal now kind of fast forward to you know more recent times as we've been stating but now young black people are basically leaving the church and and i've and doing my research there's so there's so many articles talking about this most of them are opinion articles people saying this is why i think it's happening these are the ways to fix it or this was my own personal experience um but there is some real data that we can go off so we can kind of ground this conversation and, and Pew, Pew Research is really kind of the main force that's done a lot of this research. Uh, and they've really done most of it within the last decade. And so one of the statistics that stood out to me is that one fifth of the U.S. population, um, one third of adults under 30 are religiously unaffiliated today. And mm. this is the highest percentage that Pew has ever found in their polls. Wow. And that's and that's not black people. That's everybody. Mm. So as a general rule, people are becoming less and less religious and less and less relied, less and less tied to the church. Mm. And when you look at things on, on the actual topic level, so you'll see um, black people that are church affiliated actually are starting to become very split, almost 50, 50 percent on topics like homosexuality and same sex marriage. Right. Mm. And this goes right to what you were talking about um, in, in, in the front section of today's episode where. You know, a lot of messages that are coming into the church or or coming out of the church, I should say, don't necessarily really jive with all of the people that are attending the church. Right. Right. I think historically people used to be more accepting of of messages that might not have really hit them the right way um, because the church itself had so much more meaning in their lives. And I think as the world has changed and the the church is not necessarily central to their lives anymore, Mm -hmm. they're less willing to accept things that they don't 100 percent agree with. Mm hmm. And, and talking about all of that, you really want to look at the future. And what, what I found is it says, by 2050, the percentage of the U.S. population attending church will nearly be half of what it was in 1990. Wow. So once again, we're, we're, as, a, as, a, as a nation, we're really moving away from religion so in pretty in big numbers. So 60 years. Right. And this, and this, you know, we always kind of bring political things into this conversation. This goes yeah. hand in hand with... You know, as the political parties are kind of duking it out over millennials and, and different um, sex of, of race. Yeah. We're saying that we, we can target the right now and try to try to get our voters for right now. Yeah. But what happens five years from now? What so, happens right. 10 so, years so from now? So I want to go back to that number you said, though. So 1990 to 2050 is 60 years. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that the church population will decrease by 50 percent. Not not the number, but by percentage. 
percentage. By percentage. So just in 60 years, that's a huge drop. 50% mm-hmm. is that's humongous. That's also an estimate, so it probably could be higher. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who knows? <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a pretty far that's out estimate. Yeah. But, you know, when you put estimates wow. together, that's, you know, it's looking at the trend. And so mm-hmm. that's what it's trending toward. Hmm. Like so the point you make, the trend. And we're just halfway could, there now. Right. <laughs> it could get much worse. It could get steeper, specifically. And then also in 2015, only 20%, 27% of millennials attended religious services on a regular basis. Wow. Things are changing. I mean, it's interesting because I'm like, I'm like, wow, but I'm like, girl, that's you. <laughs> Why are you being weird? <laughs> well, the I, and the the, pro- the problem, and like I said, I did a lot of research on this, and I was trying to get all the numbers because I like to have facts and figures, not just opinions that we're kind of throwing out. Um, and one of the things that came out is there's actually not a lot of research specifically on young black people leaving the church. There's there's been some research on people leaving the church, some a little bit of research on young people leaving the church. But none of it really, really specifically focused on young black people leaving the church. Um, and so it actually becomes hard for people to say with any you know, real certain certainty as to why that is. But we can always tell you what's happening. We can tell you, you know, profiles of who these people are. We can tell you all of that. Mm, but right. we can't tell you, well, what's actually making them make that choice? The most recent study that I was able to find about about blacks in the church um, was once again another Pew study. It was done in twenty in twenty twenty, so very recent. Um, it was called Faith Among Black Americans, and it surveyed uh, eighty six hundred black adults. So that's just eighteen or older. Um, so once again, not specifically focused on on young blacks. But what this study did find is that young black adults are less religious and less engaged in black churches than older generations. It found that black millennials and Gen Zers are less likely to rely on prayer, less likely to have grown up in black churches, and less likely to say religion is an important part of their lives. Fewer attend uh, religious services, and those who do attend are less likely to go to a predominantly black congregation. Interesting. Right, and so when you think about the history of the black church and you think about just black history in general and the part that the black church has played, to kind of say all those things in one breath is breathtaking. Yeah, it is. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's a major, major, major shift in black culture at yeah. large. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think those facts are in alignment in a lot of ways with, you know, what we're seeing in our own personal lives. But I also like, you know, you do the data section and then I talk about black feminism because I'm obsessed with black women. <laughs> but like, you know, I, I think back to Anna Julia Cooper's work um, at the end of the 19th century where she's writing a voice from the South. And, you know, this is what folks would say is the first, you know, actual statement on black feminism ever recorded. And most of what she's talking about is the role of black women in church. Um, and the ways that black women's struggle for rights, equal rights with men was being overlooked, not m- more so by white people, but by black men. Um, and this was showing up most uh, clearly in church environments where black women played such a critical um, role in sustaining those institutions and where those institutions of, of worship and religion were so closely tied to politics. Um, I think that's something that has also changed so much, right? You know, when we think about um, what has also changed, I think as I'm hearing you talk and I think about these trend lines, um, I think about what's happening in the inverse direction. Right. I also think about the fact that um, for young black folk, 
these political engagements and social movements have emerged outside of institutions. Mm -hmm. They're extra institutional. And so when folks have these community-based organizations that recognize them in their fullness and say, you know, how you show up in the world is actually okay. Um, You actually belong here and there's nothing wrong with you, right? We have the proliferation of social media where people can find their communities all over the world if that's where they find them. Um, And I think that that has taken us away from these kind of like very static and rooted institutions um, that have not really actually served us anyway, but but for the most part, we're where we had to go, right? If we want to be honest about how a lot of these mega churches have succeeded, um, especially in, in and around the South, where they were proliferating in areas where folks didn't have a lot of other resources. Um, and so they would turn them, their, their focus into the churches, which is there's nothing wrong with this, right? There's nothing wrong with building community in church. But then when you get so deeply connected to your church, um, you know, you don't actually need these other resources in your community. You, you can rely on your church community for that. That's what the black church has always been. It's always been a place where you would actually have uh, food services. You had education services. Sometimes you had medical services, right? But what's happening in the world now is that we don't live in those ways anymore. We and, have a new form of access. Well, and, and I would argue, you know, we, <laughs> I, I would argue you were talking about looking to church for certain things. Number one, that's something that we did during our church mm-hmm. search, right? We were like, well, what are our kids going to do during Easter? Mm-hmm. And don't they need to have an experience of a church play, right? Mm-hmm. That was, those were the things you know, mm-hmm. that we were looking for in a church. We weren't just looking for a place to go and have other Christians around. We were mm-hmm. looking for all of those other services to create, to, you know, create a whole experience. Yeah. That was a big deal for us. Yeah. Um, but what I would also say, you know, to your point is people are finding those things elsewhere. Elsewhere. And the, the, the prime example, and it might just be because we just watched Black Messiah, yeah. was, was, I was thinking about the Black Panthers, right? That's mm-hmm. exactly what the Black Panthers were. That You know, a lot of people try to say the Black say Panthers that, were Darren. Mili- militant. Say that, Darren. But, you know, what they're, I, I would argue, most known for was, was like feeding kids, right? Say that. that. You know, the, the community programs is what they were really organized and centralized on. And so that, you know, this idea of having community services and organizations that are not church centered or, or church affiliated is not new. But as we've said a couple times already, I think as the world has changed, as technology has connected us and made things so much more accessible, it means that I do have other options where I can get those services. And so if the church is not supplying something very unique and specific that can feed me in a way that these other places can't, why would I choose the church over them? Especially when churches are known for being very judgmental of people in their own personal lifestyle choices. So when you're talking about the church being representing community and representing culture, and no point does it talk about specifically the gospel, right? So as you're talking about what leads people to these places, why someone would go to the church, you know, it becomes like this catch all mm-hmm. for a lot of different types of people with different types of ideals, different types of goals. But the church becomes this one thing where it's like, well, now we have to uphold this culture. Yeah. We have to uphold these tenets and they keep it forever. So you're like, I know what it looks like for Easter. I know what this looks like in my culture. And I want my kids to have that. And we keep passing down this tradition that we don't actually respect or understand. Yeah. Um. And I think it's just important to just like highlight that. And then start thinking about like, why would you stay in a church where the culture does not right. no longer benefits you, right? <laughs> so when people join Greek organizations, a lot of people will say, well, this is what church is supposed to look like. So for them, the Greek organizations that are equally tied to the church that mm-hmm. also didn't have like a once a year, the, the Greek organizations have their Greek day and we come here mm-hmm. and we show out and then we're gone, mm-hmm. right? But there's still some tie, like we're always still trying to connect 
And I think that that kind of highlights some of like what we're supposed to be doing in terms of the gospel of like, it's always been about relationship. Yeah. But we miss that when we start to say, well, this is what we need this to be consistent. Yeah. We need this practice. The ceremony. But it's like, what about the people in the middle of that? Mm-hmm. So when ritual takes over mm-hmm. and it becomes less about culture and community, I think mm-hmm. this is what we're seeing. We're seeing this kind of mass exodus of, well, now other people are building these communities and cultures in the same way that you know, corporate America had to negotiate with this and like had to navigate the this like trend where you see organizations like Google coming in and saying like, hey, yeah. we don't care when you do your work. Right. Have fun. Play. Right. Frolic. Flounce. <laughs> right. But also, as long as you get it done by this date, by the due date, yeah. we don't care when or how you do it. Yeah. And then there were these other more rigid sites. So it's like you're seeing it match in other areas so this is not unique to the church yeah. but the church wants to feel special right and, and that's, we're that's the one thing i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in i'm gonna let, I'm gonna let you talk but the, just to kind of to cap on that is what that all sounds like to me is it's institutions right mm-hmm. and that's what i said just just a bit ago is that you know when when you become an institution mm-hmm. you have things that you can lose you have power that you hold that you don't want to give up yeah and it, i think black church is in a very uniquely situated place because it's a black institution yeah and it's one of the oldest black institutions which means it has the the deepest roots it's Mm -hmm. connected in in some of the most you know unique and specific ways and as an institution i'm sure it does not want to lose any of that yeah and it looks at i think i think the institution itself not any individual church not individual individual person but i think the institution itself looks at these challenges Mm -hmm. and says i reject you and because I am in a power role, you are mm-hmm. supposed to swallow that. And people are opting out. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I mean, this, this is, y'all got bars. Um, so that was a word, Tia. Um, and that was a word, Darren. And I think when you were talking, Tia, I was thinking about um, uh, one main thing that I think is really important when you're talking about these corporations and how these type of behaviors, these kind of attachments to ritual um, come before like the connection to people and ethics and things like that. I was also thinking about how that ties into this commodification move that we're seeing right now from like all these same corporations that are like, oh, well, you know, we don't give a fuck about black people, but we'll put a black choir on our commercial, right? Because mm-hmm. we know that that resonates with you, right? right. Or like, we don't, give, we don't give a shit about, you know, black community but we'll sponsor the BET awards and we'll make sure Kirk Franklin is on the, you know, like things like this. And so like, it becomes this whole thing where the black church and our black church culture and our black church ways become this kind of mass produced thing. Like Mm -hmm. I always think about, um, what's our homie with the wigs. (laughs) I don't want to advertise for him. But not Carlton Banks. Not Carlton Banks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but him and the genre of folks who do that, right? They have right. a whole platform built off of church culture. And there's a whole comedian-like culture that's growing now about black church. Yeah. And I mean, think about Kev on stage. Kev on stage. He just launched a whole app. He has a huge, right. huge platform. He's doing work with Will Smith. Right. Built like, this off is a real thing. Black church, church and so I, I think that's one thing, too, where, where for a lot of young black folk, like the commodification of the black church is also a deterrent because a lot of these churches, sometimes you get in them and it's like, is this, I can't tell if I'm at like a, a Broadway <laughs> show or if I'm at, you know, and I, I told you the other day, I was like, we had a pastor and he had an entourage and I felt very uncomfortable 
watching him walk in this like fleet of men around him. And that ties into my other point real quick. I just slid that in there. Um, <laughs> but when Darren was talking, you know, I was thinking about how, how much we talk about power, but we really do also have to always talk about patriarchy as well. Mm-hmm. Right. We know that of uh, these institutions, the black church is a patriarchal, historically a patriarchal institution. And, what that has meant is that for a lot of non-normative people, you know, non-sexually uh, normative or gender normative people, that the black church has been a very violent place. Um, we know for a lot of folks, um, the experience in the black church has come with um, exposures to men who have been predatory and harmful mm-hmm. and have not been held accountable for their actions. Um, and, and when it hasn't actually been um, related to predatory and harmful behaviors, it's just sometimes been the culture um, that sets up a church to, to reinforce the idea that women are inherently not worthy of the same type of love, affection, and care that men are. And so it, it, I think we have to also always have that conversation around how the institution that we're talking about, the black church as an institution, has absolutely held on to, in holding on to these rituals and these culture, held on to power and patriarchy at the same time. And that's really, I think, been something that has pushed out so many young folks. We are the gayest generation. We are the gayest generation. We are the most genderqueer generation. And can you imagine you know, folks like us going into a church where we have taught our children that gender is a social construct and they can see that on Sesame Street, but they go into the church and somebody tells them that somebody was the president of the kitty cat club. They gonna look at them like, what? Who? Right. They gonna say, mommy, did he watch that episode of Sesame Street? Because (laughs) Big Bird said, they literally would ask that question. Did they ask for their pronouns? This is an inappropriate conversation. Let's not go. We don't even talk about people. You know what I'm saying? Like, my kids are not going to be comfortable with that. I think that's also the problem, though, when you when you think about this as as a timeline, right? So, as, as I said before, the black church is getting older and older, mm-hmm. and the people that are leaving are generally the youngest generations, right? And so, as the older people stay and the younger people leave, there's less of a battle, there's less of a conflict, there's less of a conversation to kind of correct those things to have people even understand or reckon with those things right because if all the people that you're at church with look like you and have the same beliefs as you you're like this is what we're doing this this is how it is and then you look on on news media or you look at someone's daughter who you know had a baby out of wedlock you know and and everyone at the church shames shames that person or everyone at the church you know talks bad about that or or whatever it is you know who who would stay for that? Who would want to, who would want to join that? Who would feel accepted and welcomed? And this and this is the thing that I think I always come back to when I think about church is, you know, church is rooted in the Bible, and there's lessons and teachings and things in the Bible. And the one thing I always remember growing up is, and this is something I struggled with as a kid is, you know, it says come. Everyone's like, come as you are, just you know, however you are, right. whatever kind of sin, whatever you're wearing, whoever you are, whatever your background yeah, is, come it's, and we'll it's accept the voice you. For me. It's the and voice for the me. Voice. There. It's the voice. And this you must guys be are also Karen missing, Baptist Church. You're also missing the gestures. This is Karen Baptist Church. No one can hear the gestures. That must be Karen Baptist Church. Yeah, Karen Baptist Church. But that's, I mean, that's what it was. And I remember being like 12 and seeing someone come in church, you know, in like street clothes. And everyone looking at them like, like oh, holy God. Who, who is this? And I, I remember being like, I'm so confused. 
Y'all sit up here every Sunday talking about come as you are. We want to accept everyone into the tent. And the moment you come as you are, then we're like, no, oh, no, 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 we're gonna, we're gonna judge. When we say come as you are, we meant under these guidelines. Right. As long as you follow my rules, follow these principles and practices. You is subjective. Let me look at well, this again. And I think I think the thing about it too is, and this gets back to your idea of of you know patriarchy and the black church and how they're tied together is people look at the Bible and they say, I'm going to follow the Bible to the letter. Mm. The problem is. And I learned this in the church. We're all humans and we are interpreting this text, mm-hmm. right? So it's impossible for someone to say, well, the Bible says you have to interpret it appropriately. Mm-hmm. And if I'm at church and you're saying do one thing and then you're acting differently, it makes it difficult for me to then say, well, I trust how you are interpreting mm-hmm. God's word for me and how I should show up and operate in the world. Mm-hmm. And then- yeah. So, so I'm about to ask you a question. Oh, okay. So this is where we have. I mean, that was the perfect transition for the second half of this conversation, mm. which is about uh, the fact that young people are not just kind of becoming wayward and having no affiliations whatsoever. They are moving toward. We are moving toward more spiritual and community-based connections, and you know, work rooted in healing and things like that. And so, I want to shift to Tia on this, but also thinking about this in relation to how folks can still have their connections like Christianity or their central beliefs, whatever they are, um, and still be practicing those things and bringing them into these alternate spiritual forms of practice as well. I mean, at the end of the day, religion is a means to an end, in my opinion. So like any ritual, right? I'm not a yogi just because I do yoga. But it can be a way that I connect with higher powers. It can be a way that I tap into what's going on with my ancestors. It can be a way that I center myself and calm and deescalate myself. Um, And I think religion is a way that we can connect with those higher powers, right? So when we talk about young people not staying in the church, Mm -hmm. and you're talking about areas where trauma is just so built up, like the culture of church is surrounded by trauma when it Mm -hmm. says come and bring everything to the altar, like... We are bringing it, whether we're open with other people or not, whether our trauma is um, like homophobia and just like having these ideals or belief systems that we are not inherently good or great because of ways that text was interpreted. I think there's just so many different directions that you can take it. But church is filled and the premise of church is trauma. Mm -hmm. So when you take church and religion, like it becomes really difficult when the ritual is trauma. Mm -hmm. so there's some ways to like kind of like go off of that, but then talk about like there can be ways that I incorporate versions of church into my practice that allow me to connect to a higher power. Mm-hmm. But I haven't always found that church is the only it cannot be the be all end all for me. Mm-hmm. And for some people, church is enough and it makes sense to them and it works for them and it allows them to like center in the ways that are appropriate for me. That's not enough. So. I'm responsible for meditating and connecting in a way that supports me. Mm-hmm. I'm responsible for prayer and affirmations. I'm responsible for praise and worship and right. And like people talk about gratitude and there's different ways that we're saying the same thing, but there's different approaches. And I think we have to really be open and be more thoughtful about the ways that we mm-hmm. are engaging with ourselves. But we're so used to muting that it becomes difficult to know what I need and what my body requires and what, you know, like what, what does it mean for me to connect with a higher power? What does it mean for me to connect with God? What does that look like in real, in real time? Mm-hmm. And it just gets really difficult when people want to follow protocol mm-hmm. because that's not how relationships work. If anyone's ever been in a relationship, no relationship you've ever been in is, well, if I do this and this and this, like there's no, there's no formula to perfect relationships. So if we are imperfect people and we serve a perfect God or deity mm-hmm. or a higher power, 
how are we going to connect with them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Without thinking outside of the box, like we serve a creative person, someone who crafted humans and oceans and fit like <laughs> let's all follow the same principles and model because that makes a lot of sense. It's like we want to control it, but that's not how relationships work. So I think as people start to relinquish that control and realize, you know what, the church was never really the be all end all. Jesus didn't even have a church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're talking about Christianity specifically, he was a rebel that was jumping in people's house. And it was, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> he was out there like, oh, somebody just busted through. Like, I would not invite Jesus to my home. I'm not going to lie because I'm like, this one we went to, the roof is open. Over here, there's so many people in the house. Like, if you're jumping a Virgo. In house, I've never heard Jesus described that way. He was at parties. He was at houses. He was like, he came for food. What job did he have? Like, yeah. you know, there's so many things about like. You would technically, if you talk about like living in today's day and age, not invite this man into your home. And he always had 12 other people rolling with him. Who's yeah, feeding them? Yeah. We are in poverty. Some loaves right. and fish. Loaves and fish. So religion looked really different because they were inviting him in. Strangers, like word was just getting around of like, hey, there's this person and there's something about them. They're talking mm. about aura and energy. Like mm. how often do we talk about vibes and like the spirit mm. of things mm. when you walk into a room and felt like that's usually the first way people describe things. So when we ignore energies and we ignore how mm. we're feeling in a space and then you walk into a church and you're like, oh, my energy was off. But if this is where I'm supposed to be and your mm. mind is taking over. Is that spiritual practice? Is that a way that we connect? with Girl, can you um stop preaching? <laughs> well, and here's the other thing. Like I was thinking this when you just said that about energies, because that is a big point. Damn. Wait, also, can we, can but, we hold, tarry hold, a moment? No, I'm, 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 I'm tarrying. I'm, I'm still. I'm tarrying. It's, it's because, hitting me still. Because I'm, that's the thing is I feel like the church a lot of times would frown upon. Did you see how she brought that around? Like that. You see how she brought that all the way back around? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't ready for how that was going to come back I, around. To be honest, I wasn't either. Wow. Gemini Mercury. Damn. <laughs> see, there you go, right? Astrology. Right. Oh my God. I've been in the church. You talk about your sign. They're like, oh, that's, oh that's we came demons, right back to right? muting, and oh it was just gosh. right on time. I'm hey. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, dear. I'm sorry. No, no, that's that's it. All I'm saying is, is your point is dead on, right? Oh my God. All these things, all these other spiritual practices, all these other mm-hmm. things that I think people are now exploring and are working for them and are feeding them and making them feel good and having them progress and grow as individuals. Hmm. A lot of times, a traditional church would frown upon those things yeah. or just outright call all those things right. evil because they're not of the church. That's the devil. That's voodoos yeah. and the hoodoos. I mean, that's what I grew up in. So yeah. even being Jamaican, people assumed that spiritual practice was big for me. But in my, like, I'm first generation American. What am I? Second generation Seventh Day Adventist. So it's like there's generations of Christianity ahead of me and even in experiencing that, we were like, I mean, Seventh-day Adventists to anybody that knows, any other Seventh-day Adventists are like, what a Seventh-day Adventist, my gosh. And then they're also like, ooh, girl. <laughs> um, but it's basically like bootleg Judaism in practice. Oh, God, I had to you say said it. it. You said it. Because in that way, it's like, so we worship on Saturday. So we have Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, in terms of Levitical law and mm-hmm. eating and what you eat and put in your body, you know, like no pork and things like that. So in practice, it's very Jewish, but in... Um, in kind of like theology, it's very much Christian in that mm-hmm. like Jesus lived, died, rose again, all that. Mm-hmm. So that being invited into like my home, there was no space for because, you know, spirituality is evil and they're doing the voodoo and they're mm-hmm. doing the obi and don't make the obi man talk. And, you know, it mm-hmm. becomes this whole thing. So spirituality was kind of like rebuked. 
So at no point was our holistic identity being observed in Mm -hmm. that way. So people are looking for holistic means, whether it's multiple things that serve my whole being or one thing that serves my whole being. But religion and ritual can only serve a part of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And even Jesus did that when he's like breaking the Sabbath and like his disciples were eating on the Sabbath day or Mm -hmm. he was walking and healing on the Sabbath day. And it's just like. If we look at Christianity, according to the Bible, no matter how you interpret it, you know, like he didn't even really believe like he understood, though it was his practice to go to temple. Mm. There were occasions where it didn't serve the people, it didn't Mm -hmm. serve community, it didn't serve him and it didn't serve their rest. You You mean he adjusted his performance of his religion if it served the people who needed him to show up differently? Uh, yeah. You mean he it's biblical. <laughs> cared about the people before he cared about his performance of his religion? Wait, I want you, I want you to get to this next point because I think this next point ties perfectly to that. But I just wanted to, to say to that, <laughs> I'm sorry, this performance is killing me. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like... That's I feel like that's it, Rez. I feel like a lot of a lot of other outlets are doing that. They are looking at things from a more holistic point of view. Right. They're saying, How do we show up differently in this position or in this position or in this situation or for this person or in this instance? And anything I think for a new age individual, a, a millennial a millennial, a Gen Zer, needs to have that type of scope and that look because mm. Honestly, yeah. those are the types of organizations that millennials and Gen Zers are building themselves. Right. So that's, I mean, that's the last point of the, of the conversation, right? As we're talking about these alternative forms of spirituality, but they're not just spirituality. It's, it's an abolition praxis, right? For like sure. folks are now thinking about the ways that we are learning to be in prison from the time we were born and mm. the ways that we keep prisons in our own minds for ourselves. And so folks are freeing themselves of these, these things that we learn about ourselves. We learn anti-blackness, white supremacy, capitalism, heteropatriarchy, neoliberalism. So people are saying we don't have to live like that. And I think that this ties into the abandonment of the black church for young black people because you step in there sometimes and you do see the same things you've been fighting all week, all week to to get out from underneath. And you step into a church and you're like, I'm not going to fight here too. You know? And I know for me, that's what it felt like. So I think that the political implications of this are that people, young people in particular, this is, you know, stemming from some of my work and the conversations I've had with young people. Um, when I'm interviewing young people, I always ask them, like, what are you affiliated with? What are your, your political affiliations, your church affiliations? And um, it, it was funny because a few years ago when I interviewed young people in Chicago, they would express some guilt. They'd be like, oh, you know, I don't go to church anymore. Right. Uh, but now when I interview them, they do not express any guilt. And they more so express guilt if they are not affiliated directly with a political organization. And there was some of that back when I was interviewing before, um, but they felt a lot of guilt back then about about both the church and the social movement organizing. But now it's like really about social movements. Um, and I, right. I interviewed a young person recently who actually was very religious. He felt very strongly about his Catholicism. Um, and he had been writing for, you know, Catholic magazines and newspapers. And he had been writing as a queer black man oh, wow. who wanted to critique some of the things he saw in his church. So for him, he was like, listen, I'm going to grab them by the neck. And he was like, this is rooted in my abolition practice. And I was like, oh, my heart. You know, I was just <laughs> like, 
I was like, be professional and keep your composure. Just smile, you know? <laughs> um, but I'm finding that young folks are really seeing themselves as liberation praxis. They're seeing themselves as, 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 as co-strugglers and comrades, you know? Yeah. And so for them sitting down and taking the, 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 whatever folks will give them is just not an option. And I think that's part of this larger political movement that we're seeing. I would almost argue that, you know, we haven't left the church. We left the building, right? Mm. So if, it's biblical that where two or three are gathered in my name, right? If that's biblical, then when we gather together in support of one another and mutual aid and other other forms of abolition, like Jesus was an abolitionist. Yes, he was. And a thug. He, no, he was straight gangster. Yes. You said it so. Thank you for saying that because I've been <laughs> you saying said it so. I've been saying like, he was a thug for so long, and people are like, "Girl, no, he wasn't." I'm like, "This nigga was a thug. He, he was. was throwing over tables throwing and all tables. sorts of." I've been trying to tell people, but even when he wasn't throwing tables, I mean, I would not want to engage him in any type of dialogue. With no, Jesus. man. Hey, are you the? Mis- you said so. Like what? He, he had all he the words. Would, bro. He would speak the truth. He had and all drag the words, you bro. Calmly. He would, he would drag you in love, and I, I've never been dragged in such a way that oh you know gosh. it almost like felt Caucasian. I don't know. A thug. <laughs> a thug. A thug from Bethlehem. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, there was a thug in Bethlehem. Wow. I was thinking that. There was a thug in Bethlehem. <laughs> we didn't get that clear. We didn't get that clear. <laughs> but it was a remix, and I think it was in a different key, so we good. Okay, okay, we get that. We covered. We covered. The same, the same the thong song the thong song wasn't clear oh, oh that no was you amazing. said it out but, loud but the thug in Bethlehem was we were so. thinking it <laughs> <laughs> She's heard much worse. Oh, no. He compared the thong song to a thug in Bethlehem. <laughs> so did I, Ray. Oh, but God. I think when you think about it, you know, like, why would young people feel guilty about leaving the church when the church doesn't feel guilty about not having us, right? Mm. They feel that it is their righteous right to to leave us on the outside and to not include us. And that's not biblical, right? Um, Jesus was inclusive. Mm-hmm. So when you talk, I, I don't know, like... As I'm reading the Bible more, like seminary helped to to really un- unleash a lot of those things where I was like, am I tripping or does the Bible say <laughs> just as I read it? And and maybe it's just my own interpretation. Maybe I am perverting scripture, but I would have a hard time going to a heaven with a God that was described to me in my childhood. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's OK. And I think I had to just come to that conclusion. I was like, if there is a God that my friends can't come to this church, if there is a God that is exclusive and limit, like, I don't think that's what the Bible has been about. It was all these stories and tales about adventures with God. You know what I'm saying? Like all these people that's talking about this relationship where he was so desperate to be in relationship. It wasn't enough to have heaven and angels. Mm. You wanted to come down and get, you know what I'm saying? Like that just seems like. The type of God that I'm, you know, I, I can mess with a God like that. Mm-hmm. The other type of God that's just like, that's looking for rather than, and, and diligent about finding opportunities to, to burn us and scold us and lecture us and teach us a lesson. Like, I don't know if that's for me. Maybe mm-hmm. not. It's not for me. That doesn't feel like a separation that I would miss. That seems like a toxic relationship. I probably should flee. Child. So and that, that's what and black that's people same, doing. <laughs> that's the same. I mean, and that's the thing. Like we've been saying, that is that is what people are learning about how they walk through their normal day lives. That they want to remove the toxicity. They want yeah. to bring love and positivity and good things, good vibes, right. good energy into their lives. How sad is it that we're now talking about the church as a place where people are putting it in that toxic camp, mm. where they're putting it in the camp of 
this is something that's exclusionary. This is something that has certain right. rules. And if I don't meet these certain standards, then I'm not allowed to participate. I'm not let in through all the doors. But there's nothing new under the sun, right? This is exactly when Jesus came into the earth, right? They're talking about the Samaritans mm-hmm. and these these awful people, right? That didn't that didn't and the Gentiles that didn't subscribe to culture, that didn't fit their rigid terms. And then the Pharisees were the ones rejected in the Bible. And then you're talking about the Samaritan and the good Samaritan and how this person that was supposed to be so awful found compassion Mm. and that was who scripture chose to highlight right Mm -hmm. and you talk about the gentiles and how you said nothing is unclean anymore and all these things where it's just like every instance of scripture where we see jesus is in you know inserted into scripture they're all instances of abolition all instances of inclusion Mm -hmm. all instances of reclamation all instances of character and ethics and and you don't see that with the pharisees you actually see some pharisees sneaking over to try to this is actually what I signed up for, but I got the law, right? So it's it's both to some degree. The law can support us, but the law is not the be all end all. And I think that's where we get stuck. Mm-hmm. And some people become really legalistic. And I mean, in the culture that I grew, grew up in, that was the thing. They would argue and be like, well, the reason that you feel uncomfortable in this church is because you are sinful within yeah. yourself. And it's like, no, we all have sinned. And I'm like, <sighs> well, if that's the case. Let's let's keep it 100, right? The Bible also says with the might that you are that you judge is what you'll be judged right. with. Mm-hmm. So when we try to hold the church this inanimate object mm-hmm. accountable, which becomes the individuals mm-hmm. within this body, mm-hmm. and then they with the same might that we were judged, mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. that's where we well, you cannot, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's not biblical. So I'm like, let, let's just pretend for a minute that we want to actually stick to scripture. Mm-hmm. The church is not following its own practices. And I think that's where we need to step up and see some things where do you actually care about people? Then you should care about everyone that is lost. Yeah. Just as like the lost sheep, the lost coin. Like how many stories y'all need to be like, yeah, we bro. after the lost. Yeah. We after the, the, the people that have been ostracized and downtrodden. Yeah. We're after the widow. Yeah. We're after like the biblical. Yeah. Oh, the Hosea frivolous. was all about hoes. The frivolous son. <laughs> Everybody could say. I'm Everybody. Listen, bro. That was the idea. Mm-hmm. So for us to sit there, I'm like. You know, it's going to be a real shock when, when everybody don't make it. And they'd be like, me? I, I know you not. I mean, I just was wearing my furs and hating everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I well, had a nice hat, Jesus. Listen, what you mean? I'm going to throw this in there and I'm going to drop, you know, this research stuff. I'm telling you, I'm going to put the links in the show notes. They're, they're really amazing. <laughs> I'm, I don't, I'm not going to go through all the details of it, but it's really actually there's a lot of information to go through. It's actually pretty interesting. One of the things that I found that was interesting that they called out is that they said, What's also happening politically in the world, a lot of evangelicals yeah. and how they're showing up in the world is casting a dark shadow on the greater body of Oh, do you mean it's because they're racist? Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, racism is not a problem in America, though. Barack Obama was president. Y'all yeah, we're, we're past that. And now we've got Joe we're Biden. We're colorblind now. <laughs> yeah. Y'all so fake. <laughs> but, that's, but that's the thing, right? When, when we can say, okay, well, they're Christians and that's how they act and that's how they believe. It makes it that much harder for any church yeah. worldwide yeah. to say, oh, we're so accepting and loving. And we, I mean, evangelicals as as a rule are not set up that way. Yeah. Right. And so it makes it the whole body of Christianity. You know, it's a it's a it's a black eye. Well, I mean, it sounds to me like you said white people might have done some fucked up shit. Mm. <laughs> Imagine that. 
Okay. I mean, that was a shock to me that Caucasians and that even the anyway. white people who wasn't in the black church somehow cast aspersions on the black church. Even the ones at Karen Church. Even the ones at Karen Church. That really caught me off guard. Karen Baptist Church in Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> Just very concerned about the signage. Y'all might want to change that immediately. <laughs> I just think everyone in there has an asymmetrical haircut with blonde tips. And you know they only use passive-aggressive scripture. <laughs> what is passive-aggressive? In the beginning, he created the earth. We already told you. I mean, it's it's okay if you didn't know that in the beginning God created But we it. did say it yesterday. As per our That's last there. email. As per my email. <laughs> oh, Karen. And then there was Light. Light. L-I-G-H-T. Light. <laughs> Sick of this. Light. <laughs> <laughs> it's giving me a sunburn. Light food. Oh. Oh, not no. The that was so brutal. <laughs> Won't Jesus be a bomb in Gilead? Oh. Oh, no. That was double-edged. But that wasn't passive-aggressive. You got a passive-aggressive Don't cut my ear with these jokes. Jesus wasn't a bomb in my Gilead. Okay. That's the passive-aggressive Karen Baptist Church version. That was a little... Suggestive more than passive aggressive. I think it her, was suggestive. Her Gilead was burnt. I don't know what sun. type of Gilead you got. Because of the light. So she needed a bomb. Oh, Jesus. What Next. she really needed was a thug. That's what that's what Karen needed. She needed a thug. Is that's everyone high? Because I thought I was the only one high. You can find my mom and dad, aka That Black Couple, on the web at thatblackcouple.com. That Black Couple is owned and operated by Color Convos Media. If you would like to help fund our content, Sign up at www.patreon.com slash coloredconvosmedia. Please consider giving $5 or $10 per month to help us build our platform and grow our organization. You can also give one-time donations at www.paypal.me forward slash watercoolerconvos. All donations are welcome. And we are back. We're back. With our reflections. That was dope. Um, So I think for me, in my reflection, I want to focus on, you know, not uh, any scarcity models um, regarding where I am with my journey and my relationship to the Black church. I want to discuss where I am with my relationship to my community and what has come of my earlier struggles um, with connectedness. And so, you know, I'm actually really excited now because, you know, I went through some periods of really deep depression um, where I felt very untethered uh, from black folk, black women in particular. And I didn't have a lot of places with queer folks um, that I could vibe and feel connected and seen. And when I got to Chicago, I joined BYP 100, which was really, really dope. And that was like my first foray into a, like a formal movement organization. But it showed me so much about like it opened my eyes about all the other ways you can join community with folks. Like um, they showed me that you can join art collectives and um, just like food banking opportunities that you could just go back and do with a group of friends uh, you know, over and over and over again. Um, we started working with local um, shelters and I'm um, just doing like word of mouth, like talks and trainings and things like this. And so like, it was really cool to start to get access to my community through this organization. So I didn't have to stay necessarily tethered to the organization to still do this work and still get get connected to people. And so I think that was where I started to really open my eyes to the ways that we really have everything that we already need at home. Like we already have what we need in our communities. 
Um, and now I have a very full community. I have really amazing friends. A lot of them who I do, uh, movement and activism work with, who I, who I write with, who I build with in other ways. Um, I have a grief community that I'm a member of that was organized by another activist who's really, really dope. Um, but it's a really, um, really, uh, connected and caring queer community. Like most of the yeah. folks there are queer. Um, and not, uh, they're both gender queer and, uh, queer sexually. So it's, you know, folks show up in their bodies and it was very welcoming to me to see folks show up in ways that are very familiar to me. I think what I'm trying to say is that for me, um, my movement away from the black church has not relate, has not resulted in me, um, feeling, you know, lost and, uh, feeling as though, um, I have, you know, nowhere to go. It actually has guided me to places where I can be, um, fully seen and fully held. Um, and I don't have to negotiate that process. I don't have to contort myself. I don't have to, um, turn off some of my, my ways or, or ways of being. I don't have to leave any parts of me at the doorstep. I can just step in the door. Um, and so I think that has been really, really beautiful for me. And I think this episode has made me actually feel really good about that <laughs> and not feel like I was doing something wrong. Yeah. And I, and I think honestly, for me, when I think about church, um, growing up, it was always a compulsory thing. It was like Sunday, you go to church, you got to wake up by so-and-so time and eat yeah. and we got to get, get out the house by whatever o'clock. Right. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, that was kind of what was ingrained in me was the, com- the compulsive, the compulsory nature of having to go to church, right? And I get it as an adult that you do that with your children because you're trying to teach them the right way. You're trying to build that into them. So it's a, it's literally a part of their DNA. But as an adult, you know, you realize it, you don't have to, right? Mm. It It's a choice and you can, you can opt out if you want to, you can opt in if you want to. Um, and then I think this conversation for me has been really good in trying to put that into perspective also the idea that church can be a part of a greater whole right Mm -hmm. so when you go to church you don't have to get everything from church you can get certain things from it you know i I think honestly i've spent a lot of this podcast kind of shitting on church a little bit (laughs) but i mean there's there's a lot of good things about church there's a lot of a lot of fond memories that i have from church a lot of people that I knew from church, a lot of things that I've experienced and gone through and and have been really instrumental in making me who I am today that I got from church. But I think the problem is, you know, we don't have to look not one place for everything, right? Mm -hmm. It should be a part of a bigger holistic, as we've said a couple of times, holistic kind of um, approach to life. Mm -hmm. And even as we talk about black youth leaving church, I, I think that the bigger thing we want to talk about is that, you know, church, um, I, I think what black people, black youth in general are going through is more of a broadening mm-hmm. as opposed to an exclusionary. I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't. And, and that's like you said, like, like to what you said about, um, you know, we're, we're leaving the building, mm-hmm. but we're not necessarily leaving the church. We're not mm-hmm. leaving, you know, Christianity in, in general. And, and that I will say. That was actually backed up some of the, the numbers that I saw. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that's the more important takeaway from this is that people are looking to really figure out who they are on a bigger, grander scale. And they're not really okay with saying, I'm just gonna take what I can get. I think that's yeah. that's the bigger message of the moment for all people, not just in the religious sense, but for all people, is we're trying to go the extra mile. And so for me, 
that's exactly how I think this whole conversation is showing up. And, and that's what I'm going to take away is that look to church for what you can get out of it. What's going to speak to you, what's going to work for you. And then for the places where it's, it's not working, you can go somewhere else and get that and make your, and make yourself whole in that way. Yeah. I mean, my, my big takeaway is like, we are, we are making what we perceive to be the new church. Right. Um, so kind of like when people welcome you to a space where your counselor will say something like, um, take what you need and leave what you don't. Mm. And I think, um, as we're imagining church, there's some things worth reclaiming, right? There's certain things that we can hold on to and that we can remember fondly. And there's some pillars and some rocks, those, um, Ebenezer stones that they talk about biblically, where you set them as a reminder and you tell your children about them, but they're stones, right? They stay in the place that it was in. Mm. And I think we're just mourning what that was for us there was a time where the church where the black church was safety for us Mm -hmm. where it was community where we felt welcome where we felt seen now there are new places where that's happening and i think we are mourning that and just celebrating a new life but we don't know how to mourn it because some people are still very deeply tied to those ebenezer stones right they're still in place and they're still static and we're just moving from it so i think it's going to be important to just like reclaim what you can and then keep it pushing and, Mm -hmm. and you know be blessed with what comes next so it's beautiful. I love the ending. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Thank you guys for having me. This was fun. Thank you for coming on the show. We love guests on the show. We will. Especially I mean, the, the smart, brilliant, amazing ones. <gasps> That's my man. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Here y'all niggas go. Anyway, I might date y'all or whatever. Ooh. I got a chance. Thank y'all for listening. Before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ThatBLKCouple, on Facebook at ThatBlackCouple, and look us up on the internets at www.ThatBlackCouple.com. Bye!